Welcome to the Legends Lounge with Massport. Trade in, trade up at your local participating Massport dealer. Visit massport.co.nz. Hadley. And he's edged it behind and he's out. Caught behind. Hadley takes five. New Zealand win this test match by an innings and 132 runs. Cowan's being dismissed for seven. And the Englishman for 82 in the first innings and 93 here this afternoon at Lancaster Park. In exactly 12 hours play. That's all it took for this test match to reach a conclusion. That was 1984. Bruce Edgar played in that test match. Uh, joins us this morning. Morning, Bruce. Morning. How are you? Very well. You'd have some wonderful memories of that one, dismissing England for 82 in the first innings and 93 in the second. Oh, it was um, a pretty challenging pitch to, to bat on from memory. Um, you know, Richard Hadley and the guys just, just went through them. But, you know, pulverising England in such fashion was... Uh, unheard of and to turn up and do that was just amazing just amazing let's look back at at your amazing career before you uh turned out and played for new zealand for the first time in 1978 you went to rongatai college was cricket always going to be your love oh yes it was um my father played uh, for Colburnie cricket club and i obviously joined there as a junior he played a couple of games for wellington as a as a wicketkeeper he was passionate about cricket i used to go along to Colburnie park to to watch him play and, and, and see some real legends of cricket there. Um, and, yeah, I I just love the game. Six-year-old playing hardball cricket without helmets on. You know, we did it pretty <laughs> tough in those days. <laughs> we, there was... we didn't have, we didn't no have such thing as a helmet. <laughs> no such thing as a helmet back then, was there? No, the irony of the whole thing is uh, we were waiting for helmets to turn up for the series against the West Indies when we... <laughs> Played them in seventy nine eighty. We uh, it was a bit like a ten gear bag. Um, you know, have the helmets arrived yet? Because we were a little bit nervous about facing the four fastest bowlers around in world cricket at the time. And uh, four guys with big heads or small heads, you know, <laughs> a couple to share around. And uh, John Wright and I got first uh, first opportunity to wear the helmets. So um, bugger the rest of them. We just uh, <laughs> first. first, first there's cabs off the rank out of the out of the gear bag, but mind you, no one. There's no such thing as a as a, as a gear bag these days. Everyone has their own kit. Yeah, I mean it's it's a changed game from when you play. But when you were a youngster, a little six year old growing up, and who who were, were your cricket heroes back then? Who did you look up to? Oh, I looked up to um, people like Richard Collins, um, Barry Sinclair, Don Neely, um, Michael Coles at the Colburnie Cricket Club. Uh, there, there was a hell of a team. There's Robbie Smith, Bruce Smith, um, you name it, uh, Graham Bilby. Uh, the, the, the team was just stacked full of first-class and international players. So going along to Quibini Park on a Saturday to watch uh, senior cricket, as it was called, was just, just eye-opening and it was encouraging and it sort of motivated me to carry on with the game, you know, seeing those guys perform and knowing that they would go on and play international cricket. And people like Barry Sinclair, he, he was a Grey Nichols-sponsored um, player, and he gave me one of his old bats that he'd scored 100 against England with up at Eden Park. And I was just like a pig in muck, you know. It became, <laughs> became a backyard bat with um, myself and um, someone you may know pretty well, Ian Smith, um, former international keeper and commentator at the moment. He, he lived with us for six months. 
and we used to play backyard cricket with a bat that uh, Barry Sinclair had scored a century with at Eden Park. Mind you, it wasn't in good shape because the, the guts had been split out of it, so we <laughs> put Plasti Bond in the middle to, to retain it and restore it. So, yeah, that was the sort of fun that we had. You made the national side in 1978 for the first time. Can you recall the day that you were sort of selected? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I was sitting at home and um, listening to the radio and they announced the team to tour England and my name came over the radio. You didn't get phone calls or <laughs> you know, the emails went around in those days. No one had a mobile phone, of course. So you just had to listen to the national radio to hear whether you made the team or not. So, yeah, it was a delight to hear that. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and the tour was amazing. So it was great to get on that. Yeah, how good would that have been to, to number one, make the national side and then to tour England um, with that first tour? That would have been a, a real highlight. Oh, uh, look, going to England, like, you know, really it was just all happening in a bit of a hurry, playing domestic cricket and then going over to England and practising at some of the grounds, going to Lords. Uh, we played a game at Hove. Um, which was Sussex's home ground. I remember that pretty well because Tony Gregg was playing for them. Um, Imran Khan was supposed to be playing, but he was too busy, um, you know, having a rest. And um, you know, so so you started to see all these legends of cricket. Um, you know, Boycott was around and doing his stuff, and I go, wow, here we are at Lords, the home of cricket, and you know, these guys expected us to behave and you know the irony of the whole thing on a tour like that and, and it's just changed so much they had a room attendant and the first thing that he used to do he'd walk around in a white coat in the morning and he used to do a drinks list a drinks list for after the game and and would you like a pint of beer or a pint of lager <laughs> you know, we're, we're thinking about how do you hydrate during the day and not pass out you know but he's more interested in cleaning our boots and pads in those days and um, making sure that he had secured the right drinks order. <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure about um, bitter because it was always warm, so I always went for lager. You formed a, a fantastic, successful opening partnership with, uh, with John Wright. How did that partnership come about? Oh, it was just... We had a, we had a bit in common, I suppose, for a start. We were left-handers. We, we batted... Um, with the same attitude, um, you know, we really went out there to make it as hard as possible for the opposition, um, you know, leave the ball a lot, play the balls you had to play. Um, <laughs> we used to joke, you know, we're only setting this up for the next boys to come in, like, you know, how, how often Tony, so we were like the sacrificial hands going out to bat. But uh, no, it was good. We had a, he was a good man, right his top bloke, very funny, um, and so determined and, uh, and playing with him and his county experience as well because he learns a lot playing county cricket. We just got on so well. We ran well together between the wickets. I can't say our communication was clear, yes, no, and late. We just looked at each other and glanced <laughs> at each other's eyes and thought, better go now. <laughs> if you don't run, you'll be run out. And back then, you faced some of the fastest bowlers of the era, the likes of, as you mentioned, Imran Khan, Michael Holding, Dennis Lilly. I mean, what was it like to face up to those guys? Yeah, it was pretty frightening. Um, like particularly the West Indies, uh, they just they just beaten Australia. They just rolled to Australia. So you had Holding, Croft, Garner, and Roberts 
and the apprentice at the time was Malcolm Marshall. So we never, I never got to face him other than a game at the Hart Rec in Wellington where Wellington actually beat the West Indies. But those guys were phenomenally fast, scary, um, you know, whispering death and, um, <laughs> you know, guys that really wanted to hurt you. That was the thing. They bowled quick. And, you know, if it was break the stumps, they'd even try and break your body as well. But, yeah, it was terrifying facing them, but we had to learn and adjust and how, how best to play them. So that was a real challenge for us. Did you come through that era uninjured or did you got a few busted bones and bruises to prove it? Well, I got hit a few times, but as I said earlier, we, um, we had our own helmets by then. <laughs> um, um, I used to use a soccer shin pad as an arm guard because you couldn't buy them in the shops in those days. I think my mother made me a chest guard, an inner thigh pad, because no such things existed in those days either, outer thigh pads, reinforced the pads, and, you know, you felt like the Michelin man wobbling, wandering out to bat. And, yeah, you just had, then, you had to, then you had to think about practising how you're going to face fast bowling, which we did. We did that um, pretty well, and, you know, you had to be careless, um, yeah. if, if you had had fear, you were never, ever going to succeed against them. No chat with Bruce Edgar would be complete without uh, talking about the, the infamous underarm bowling incident that you were involved with in that uh, World Series against Australia at the MCG. But the thing that um, amazed me, and everybody's forgotten about it, was the fact that you were actually, you weren't facing, um, you were on 102 not out for that innings, weren't you? The, you're, you're only one day international century. Yep, yep, been a long day on the field. <laughs> had already done 50, 50 overs in the dirt, and uh, it was a very, very hot day, and then still, still there for the last ball of the game. So, yeah, it was great. Look, what a game. People still talk about it. Um, mm. Just been on a, I was on a lunch recently with Greg Chappell and Ian Chappell, Brian McKechnie, with some people in uh, Sydney, my old club there, and... Um, we have some great banter, but it was it was pretty titchy and tough at the time. And you know, New Zealand was declaring war against Australia, and we were sending, sending our one and only frigate across. And I think we had one Skyhawk. So I don't think we I don't think we had sort of much in our favour, but we had a lot of anger. And uh, yeah, it's, it certainly divided the country. But people like Greg Chapel, I get on extremely well with them. And a lot of people have said, you know, thank you for doing it because it created so much interest in the game in New Zealand, which it did. I I saw a story, I heard a story recently where you were at a a school game in Australia when you were living in Sydney and um, Trevor Chappell happened to be there with, I think, his son or something and you you surprised him. What happened there? Oh, yeah, uh, uh, we were watching uh, our boy play and Trevor was the coach of Kings and... uh, he was walking past, and my wife said to me, she said, oh, why don't you go and say hello to Trevor? I said, not yet, not yet. As soon as he went past me, he never saw me. I had a cap on and glasses. I then ran up behind him, and I gave him a massive bear hug and called him an um, expletive underarm bowler. <laughs> <laughs> and as the wind was going out of him, I thought, oh, no, I better help him. I said, look, it's okay, Trevor, it's Bruce. And he goes, oh, thank God, thank God it's you. <laughs> He was so appreciative if it was me and not a, a random Kiwi giving him heaps. But uh, uh, he's a good man too. Good man yeah. too. Yeah, so we have a lot of banter now, but that's what it's like. Sport sort of moves on and people remember stuff and, yeah, you know, you just get on with these guys and, yeah, they're underneath it all the good, good people.
You meet a lot of great people. Well, congratulations on uh, just being made a, a life member of New Zealand cricket and having a birthday yesterday as well. So happy birthday to you for yesterday. Yeah, it comes around a bit quicker <laughs> these days, so it feels. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, another year older, but um, I'm, I'm still involved in coaching the uh, Firebirds and the Plunkett Shield and BJ Watton's doing the white ball. So I've got, to, I've got to stay fit to keep up with these young blokes. So, yeah, that's the challenge. But it's, it's great fun and it's wonderful um, working with, with these young players and seeing what they're, you know, facing and the opportunities that they've got today. Fantastic, Bruce. Congratulations on a great career. Good luck with the Plunkett Shield uh, team and uh, thanks for joining us today. Been a pleasure. Thanks. 90% of parenting is just thinking about when you can have a break. And when you do take a break, enjoy the Parenting Hangover podcast. They go together like a tutu and jandals. We've said from the get-go, we ain't parenting experts. No. But it's cool to hear, what is your neighbour doing? What do they say? A problem shared is a problem halved. Oh, that's good. Not that my children are problems, or a, but I feel better talking about it. The Parenting Hangover with Clinton Jordan. New episodes every Thursday on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.